Ten Commandments are very revealing. Of course, they reveal the truth about us. It's easy to imagine ourselves more righteous than we actually are. But if we gaze into the Ten Commandments in truth and honesty, they're like a mirror that help us see the sin that remains in us. But they also reveal a lot about the Lord. They show us who He is and what He cares about. So a helpful question to ask with each commandment is, what does this tell me about God, about His character, His priorities? Let's pose that question to the Ninth Commandment. You can read it in Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. It says, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, the way we often discuss this commandment, you would think it says, You shall not lie. And lying is certainly included in this prohibition, but it's important that we deal with the Ninth Commandment as God actually stated it. I want to dissect it into three parts. We'll start with the phrase, bear false witness. When you hear that phrase, your mind is meant to wander into a courtroom. The criminal justice system has changed quite a bit since God gave this command. We have many forms of evidence. We have DNA, photographs, audio and video recordings, and so on. But for the majority of history, the testimony of eyewitnesses was paramount. If someone accused another person of wrongdoing and a second witness corroborated that accusation, that twofold testimony was damning. It's one reason why the Bible takes witness testimony so seriously. God says in Deuteronomy 17, verse 6, On the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses, the one who is to die shall be put to death. A person shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. So when it came to the testimony of witnesses, the stakes were high. It could be life or death. And not only that, the very next verse goes on to say, the hand of the witnesses shall be first against him to put him to death. In other words, if you're going to testify against someone in a capital case, you better be prepared to cast the first stone. You couldn't just hop into the proverbial witness stand and then move on. You had to be willing to take their life into your own hands. This is why bearing false witness was such an egregious sin. You were not merely putting someone's reputation on the line. You were endangering their life. And it's why there were such harsh penalties for bearing false witness. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 16 and following. If a malicious witness arises to accuse a person of wrongdoing... Then both parties to the dispute shall appear before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who are in office in those days. The judges shall inquire diligently. And if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he had meant to do to his brother. That's a pretty strong deterrent to bearing false witness. The punishment that would have been dealt to the accused is laid instead on the witness who testified falsely. Now, just because the Ninth Commandment is phrased in terms of bearing false witness in a legal setting, that does not mean it's the only way we break this command. Kevin DeYoung points out that each commandment often gives us the worst example of sinning in some way. For instance, murder is the worst way of breaking the Sixth Commandment, but Jesus tells us it's not the only way. You can also be angry. With the Ninth Commandment, the worst thing you can do is bear false witness in a court of law where someone's life could be snuffed out because of your deceit. Again, however, that's not the only way you can break the Ninth Commandment. 
The Pharisees of Jesus' day tried to squeeze this command into the smallest box, applying it only to legal situations so that they could be untruthful so long as they were not under oath. It's why Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Jesus' point was not to prohibit all oaths necessarily. It was to prohibit oaths as a means of avoiding the truth. The idea is something like this. Live your whole life as if you were always under oath. Live as if being untruthful even to a neighbor would be perjury. When you remember that God is the judge of all the earth, then you realize there's nowhere you can be untruthful without perjuring yourself in his courtroom. So the first phrase is, you shall not bear false witness. For the second part, I want to jump ahead to the phrase, your neighbor. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And we know that the Jewish people of Jesus' day conceived of their neighbor in a very narrow way. It's why Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan to expand the concept of who is one's neighbor. As a general rule, then, not bearing false witness against our neighbor means that we should not bear false witness against anyone. It's not like you can bear false witness so long as the person against whom you're bearing false witness is from a different country or of, of another race. At the same time, the phrase, your neighbor, does legitimately narrow this command in a handful of cases. Probably one of the most common questions raised in entry-level Christian ethics classes goes like this. Say you're a German Christian living during World War II. Nazis have come to your home searching for Jews. You're hiding Jews in your attic, but you know what will happen to them if you hand them over. So here's the question. Would it be breaking the Ninth Commandment if you did not tell the Nazis the truth or if you actively lied to them? Now, German Christians themselves had differing opinions about this question during the war. Some felt that it would be wrong to lie. Others felt that telling the truth would be to hand innocent people over to certain death. So in one case, if you lie, you might break the ninth commandment, but if you tell the truth, you might break the sixth commandment. It's worth pointing out that God commends Rahab in Hebrews 11 for deceiving the Canaanites by concealing Jewish spies in her home. It also seems helpful to me to say that just as the sixth commandment does not prohibit all killing, the ninth commandment does not prohibit all deception. There are some instances in which deception may be more ethical, more loving, and just than truth-telling. And that leads us to the third facet of the Ninth Commandment, the word against. God does not simply tell us, you shall not bear false witness about your neighbor or to your neighbor. Those are certainly true. But he specifically says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. That word implies not only falsehood, but also malicious intent. In fact, Deuteronomy 19 uses the phrase malicious witness as a synonym for false witness. To bear false witness against your neighbor is to intend harm against them. Let's step back for a moment and think about the nature of lying. As John Frame puts it, a lie is not simply an untrue statement. 
There are many situations in which I might say something that is untrue without lying. For example, we have things that we sometimes call honest mistakes. Imagine my wife and I had some friends over for dinner and I was telling them a story about something one of our boys said or did that was funny. But in the course of telling the story, I accidentally called the wrong son by name. My wife might gently correct me and say, you know, actually it was the other son who said that or did that. Or she might let it slide and not say anything at all because it may not change the punchline of the story. But one thing she is unlikely to do is say, you're a liar. Why? Because I did not intend to deceive. I unintentionally and harmlessly said something untrue. Another example is when someone tells a fictional story. Every Star Wars movie begins with an opening frame that says, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. No sane person would call the makers of Star Wars liars for saying that. The same goes for parables or figurative language. No sane person would hear Jesus say, I am the door of the sheep and respond, Jesus is not a door. He's a liar. Figurative language means communicating something true by saying something that is technically untrue. That does not, however, make it a lie. John Frame gives a helpful definition of lying when he says, A lie is a word or act that intentionally deceives a neighbor in order to hurt him. So there is intention and there is malice. Of course, the point is not to ask, well, what are all the ways I could deceive someone without sinning? Our genuine desire should be to do our very best not to deceive anyone, but positively to speak truthfully to them and about them. In fact, there are many other ways we bear false witness against our neighbor besides simply lying. Paul says in Ephesians 4 verse 25, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. In other words, it's not enough only to put away falsehood. Positively, we owe it to our neighbor to speak the truth to them. The opposite of bearing false witness is not simply putting away falsehood. It is speaking the truth in love. Paul goes on to say in verses 29 and following, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. It turns out there are many ways we can help or harm with our words. James says of the tongue in James chapter 3, verse 5, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Our words have the capacity to corrupt and to tear down, to bring harm and destruction to our neighbor. The solution, of course, is not simply to be quiet, although there is certainly much biblical wisdom in saying less. Beyond that, we should seek to use our words for building up, for giving grace, for doing good. The Ninth Commandment teaches us that God cares about verbal justice about how we treat our neighbor with the words we speak. I want to close by reminding you that in the providence of God, Jesus' death was brought about in part by false witnesses. Matthew chapter 26, verses 59 and following. 
Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death, but they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. At last, two came forward and said, This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. Jesus died because people bore false witness about him. More broadly, Jesus died for false witnesses like you and me, and he conquered death so that we could have Holy Spirit-filled power to bear good, truthful, edifying witness to one another, and not only to one another. He has called us to be his witnesses to the end of the earth. What we do with our words, whether we speak them or type them for that matter, either helps or hinders our witness to the world. So for the sake of Christ, may his people be people of the truth. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Henderson Baptist Church. If you'd like more information about our church, you can visit us on Facebook or check out our website, hendersonbaptist.org.